Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. My name is Rob Samuelson. I'm an elder at Generations Church, and with me as always is my good friend and the lead pastor at Generations, Jeff Luddington. How you doing this afternoon, Jeff? I am doing well. I, I And we did say afternoon. We're getting a late start. School has started, and we are trying to find our recording rhythm. And so here we are at 12, almost 12.20 in the afternoon. Uh, normally, we were mornings. New rhythm, man. I think it, I hope we don't mess it up. Yep. Now people are thinking, teachers, you guys are done by noon. What's up with it? It's like bankers. Oh, that's a like, fair no, question. You want to answer that? Yeah. I'm just I'm teaching part time this year, and you're teaching just early, early, early in the mornings. So yep. our schedule. My just kids is need nice. to be serious. I have them there at seven a.m. twice yeah, a week. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. This is our series called Questions from the Classroom. We're taking questions that our students uh, asked or wrote down last year, and we're answering them. And right now, we're kind of doing a mini-series. We've taken a group of questions and said, okay, we're going to do this over the course of a series. So here were the questions that came directly from some of our students. A lot of these questions are, are very closely related. One student wanted to know, what are the differences in beliefs in the different categories of Christianity? Talking about denominations. Another student, what are the differences between different denominations? A third student, what are the differences between the Presbyterian, Methodist, and Assemblies of God? And then another question, how can Christianity be true if there are different denominations that believe different things, even if there are just slight differences? And so we realized it was going to take way too long to just take every single denomination and try to explain what each one believes And so we decided to focus on the major differences, the major issues. So our series is just talking about the major differences in beliefs or or actions of these different denominations. Last week, we talked about baptism, differences in who should be baptized, how they should be baptized. And so if you want to hear that, you can go back and listen to last week's. So what's our topic for today? Yeah, in fact, even as you were reading those four questions, I wonder if the student who asked different beliefs in the different categories of Christianity, I wonder if they weren't actually asking what we've talked about in the major streams like Roman Catholicism, Orthodoxy, Protestantism. I wonder if they meant that. I don't know. We don't know who asked them. Uh, And the reason for that, if you're listening, is we deleted all the names, threw the questions into a document, and tried to organize them. Uh, by so we don't have anything in mind. We're just answering questions kind of neutrally. So last week, like you said, baptism, sacramental differences. Today, we're going to look at major forms of governance. And I'll give you kind of a, a start point. Um, there are churches that lead based on God calling primarily a man, could be a man or a woman, depending on the church, uh, we'll probably say man today, uh, and in most settings that's true. Like the Roman Catholic Church has a pope, it must be a man, and that is the overseer of all the Roman Catholic Church. There are Protestant versions of that. Pentecostal churches, apostolic churches sometimes have a key leader. Um, we're going to call that Episcopalian, and there is a denomination of churches called Episcopalian. Uh, episkopos is the Greek word for overseer, and that's their belief. A second style is Presbyterian. Now, there are denominations called Presbyterian denominations, but most Reformed churches are also Presbyterian. Presbyterian comes from the Greek word presbyteros, which means elder. And so someone who is an elder or, or, you know, an older leader 
we're assuming here more mature, not just chronological age. And so Presbyterian uh, is the second form. And then the third form is congregational. And congregational churches are easy to spot. They vote on everything. Everybody's an equal voice, equal vote. So that's kind of the three major forms. Great. And as we always uh, attempt to do, we go straight to the Bible to look up these things. And if you're like me, you were probably thinking Acts, go straight to Acts. But we've been pretty consistent with doing Old Testament and New Testament passages. So we're going to go back to Exodus. And most of you know the story of the burning bush. So I'm not going to read the entire story. Um, Moses, who has fled from Egypt and is now a shepherd in Midian, um, God confronts him. God speaks to him through this burning bush. And God tells him this, starting in verse 7 of Exodus 3. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Man, I should be able to say say that that three times. It's not even in the morning. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And then he talks about taking them to the promised land. So we're going to look at how he planned to deliver them. And now, verse 9, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them, uh, oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, uh, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So in this case, God calls a man to be the leader. So what does that look like in the church today? Yeah, I'm going to say something funny. Uh, I mean, quirky that you would never think you'd hear. Here is something where every Calvary Chapel and Roman Catholic Church have something in common, really beyond the word Jesus, which they even might see some of that differently, right? Uh, when Chuck Smith started the Calvary Chapel movement, he, uh, he created what he calls the Moses model, that God calls a man to lead. And so um, that is consistent with Roman Catholicism. They believe that God calls a, an, a, a larger great shepherd under Jesus, but the, what they call the vicar of Christ, which would be the Pope, right? And so they, they believe in an Episcopalian model of government, meaning at the top is an overseer. That's the word episkopos, right? So uh, Calvary Chapel also believes that God calls a man to lead. And yes, they have an organization called, uh, it's called Calvary Chapel Outreach Fellowship, which kind of functions as a, a governance structure to everybody. But they believe that God calls a leader to lead a church and that elders should exist under that leader but that the leader can't work for the elders or can't be an elder because you end up with a hireling at the whim of the elders. Now, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm saying that's what, a lot, what, that's what some agree with. And so God calls a man is a common way uh, the churches are led. At the top of that, it, and it spans Pentecostal churches, very, very charismatic or apostolic churches. Calvary chapels agree with that. And Roman Catholic, Episcopalian and, and many Orthodox churches have one man at the top of the org chart leading either a church or a collection of churches. Like the Roman Catholic, we would say churches, they would say Roman Catholic church, right? One church that meet in many locations. So they believe in an overseer. So looking later on in Exodus, we see God go from the one man, right, Moses, to now bringing along other helpers or people to lead with him to share the load. Sure. Um, just to kind of give you a little summary, Moses is spending his entire day um, judging. People right. are coming to him with, with uh, issues, and, and he is telling them, this is what you should do, this is what you should not do. And his father-in-law comes alongside him, and God gives him some advice through his father-in-law. Uh, and he says, starting in verse 21 of Exodus 18, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, 
men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. So this case, God calls other men to come alongside the leader and to share the load. So what does this look like in Christianity today? Yeah, so modern Christianity has a model of governance called Presbyterian governance, and Presbyterian is not referring to the denominations that are named Presbyterian. Actually, the denominations that are called Presbyterian are called that because they believe in an elder-led government. And so, to an extreme, you might see some Presbyterian churches where on their you know website, their staff page, it'll say, uh, lead preaching elder, not even lead pastor, right? And on the other side, you'll see pastors and elders, and, and uh, uh, there's a, a, a spectrum of what they believe. But functionally, what you get is that God raises up men, plural, right? Or men and women uh, in some settings, who are to be elders and lead the church, um, whether it's men or women or men and women or whatever it is, typically what you see is a collection of more mature Christians that have been uh, named by the church and by the leadership and that are ordained to this role of collectively spiritually leading the church. And so uh, uh, reformed churches like ourselves, uh, we are reformed, which is a name that refers to our theological beliefs, but we are Presbyterian in our leadership. So you and I both sit as elders, even though I'm a lead pastor, that's my job title. I am more effectively, uh, more accurately described as an elder, but I'm the elder that works here full time, where you don't work here full time and don't get paid to be an elder, but you're an elder. When we sit down at the, <laughs> functionally at the table we're sitting at right now, but when we meet together with the elders, your voice is equal to my voice, and we lead this in what we call a plurality of elders. So lots of Baptist churches, uh, Reformed churches, you know, non-denominational churches have this leadership style. The push-pull there is, to be fair, my voice is always typically the loudest voice at the table, if you will, because I, I vocationally do this, but we, we function in a pretty healthy everybody at the table, every elder has an equal voice, and I think that's healthy. All right, so we're going to look at one other one, um, and I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. This one does not turn out well. No, it doesn't go pretty. <laughs> we'll, we'll let you explain it when we get done with it, but some of you may know what's coming. Still in Exodus, Exodus 32, uh, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for Moses, the, ma- the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears or in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are our gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So what would you call this type of leadership? Bad. So, no. So, there's a term for this, and it's called congregationalism. And congregationalism is, uh, let me just say this if you're listening and you're in America, it makes sense as an American, but it doesn't really make sense uh, biblically. And what it is, is every, every person 
that is eligible has one voice, one vote. So congregationalism typically has a membership base, and that membership base you know, means you attend there, give there, have been baptized, profess faith, that kind of thing. And so it should be Christians. It's not a, that's not a perfect system, but every member has a vote. And typically, you, you, you get a vote at the end of the year. Um, pastors can be fired by the will of the church, which, um, you know, there's, there's a place for that, I guess. But we don't see any biblical call towards this. What we see are bad examples. In this setting, back in Exodus, Aaron is not the called leader by God. He's Moses' brother, right? Moses wants some help, and so God capitulates and says, use Aaron to help you. That's not, he's not an elder either. He's actually a priest. But, so he, no excuses. Aaron should be better, but he's not Moses. He's not one of the elders. And in the absence of Moses, their leader, uh, and the, the elders, for whatever reason, don't step up here either, the people cry out for an, a, an idol to worship, they come together, they make the golden calf, and it is a uh, you-know-what show from there on out. It goes all downhill. There's no call for that in the New Testament. Uh, there's no congregational model in the New Testament. What we see are two things consistently move forward from here. So I'm going to say this. Congregational model, here's the hard thing that everybody needs to hear. Christians are not always qualified to lead themselves. The argument is, well, the same Holy Spirit that lives in me and you lives in every believer. And I agree with that. But, you know, that's true of our children as well as our adults. And we don't let our children run the house, right? It takes a more mature person to help lead the organizational kind of, you know, the, the, the vision, the future, the teaching, the preaching, the, the sacraments, all the important things that God gives us. It takes maturity. So two things consist, or persist or, or continue from the Old Testament to the New, and the foundational piece is God calls a leader, and God calls us to raise up elders, and those things move into the New Testament. I'm just going to go straight to Titus 1. This is where I land. Paul writes to Titus. Paul sends Titus into Crete to organize the church, right? And he says this, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, that's super consistent, like you mentioned in the book of Acts earlier. Paul will plant a church, he'll raise up elders, he'll hand off leadership to the elders, and he goes and does it again, right? So God calls a leader, God raises up elders. So appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, the children, his children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Now, here's where it gets a little uh, curious in verse 7. For an overseer, that's a new word, that's the word episkopos, where we get overseer or bishop, right? And that's where, uh, like the Catholic Church says, look, there's an overseer. But I would suggest to you that elders and overseers are the same person in this verse. That's super clear. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy. So there's more character traits, right? The elder overseer. Elder is the job, the job title. Overseer is the job description, if you will. And there's lots of character traits here. And so God calls men in plurality to lead the churches. It may begin with a guy, but he, his job is to raise up other men that God has called to help lead. All right. So in those, those three different things we looked at, different types of leadership, right. right? First, God called Moses. Later, he brings along other men to share the load. Yep. Um, are there different times in a church, in a church's development, where one is better than the other? Or is there always just one model that always works the best? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and I would answer the question this way. I, so in my opinion, there is one model 
what we'll call the biblical model, right? And But it does have, I think, some variation, right? And so uh, in my example, I've planted before, right? Sometimes God calls a guy to plant and he burdens his heart for a community, a neighborhood, a city, a, you know, whatever, right? And God will send them in. Maybe they live in that area. Maybe they don't. There's, you know, countless stories of God calling men from one state to another state. I mean, you know, Rick Warren pastors Saddleback down in South County, and he came from another state, right? And he had a heart to plant here. Um, he started alone, but then he raised up elders, right? And, and that's what I did. When I, when I started a church, man, I, I started alone or with my wife and with a team and raised up other leaders. And so I think it begins sometimes with a leader or a leader in his family or a leader in some other leaders, but there's a key, a key person, right? In that case for us, man, a key man that God has called to lead. I would say that's a short-term solution. That's the beginning step, but always that we would raise up others. Again, Paul says to Titus, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put remain into what is order and appoint elders, right? And so the leader's job should be initiate, right? That's that apostolic kind of role or beginner role, lead pastor role, but then get some other people, give them authority around you to protect you. Great. Okay. So um, just real quick, let's, we have a little bit of time left and we're going to look at um, the different types of leadership. I'm wondering if in the Bible, is there any premise for different denominations? Yeah. So that's kind of what got us started, right? Um, there's a, a lot of question today. If you were raised in a denominational church, you probably see, depending on your experience, maybe you've had bad experiences and you're like, they're all terrible. Uh, maybe you come from a tradition and you're, and you're happy with it. And maybe it's a good tradition. Um, is there a biblical premise for denominations? And the word denomination isn't used, but there is an, a famous and, and well-needed story in Acts 15. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the church is growing. And what you have to know about the growth is there's churches that are Jewish in Jerusalem that are primarily all Jewish Christians. And then there are places like Antioch and Ephesus. Well, Ephesus will get planted later in than Acts 15. I'm going to read from Acts 15. But Antioch is primarily Gentile. Right. And so what's happening is there's a theological disagreement. Do the Gentile folks have to go through the Jewish rituals like circumcision or whatever or not? And, and Paul is saying no, but some of the Jewish leaders are saying yes. And so here's what they do. Acts 15, it says, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders. And just if you're listening, hear that like lead pastors and elders at this point with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And they sent leading the men among the brothers with the following letter, and it, it starts the decision out. So here's what happens. The, the pastors, the elders, the apostles, the leadership of the churches from different churches, Antioch, Jerusalem, and many other places, gather together in Jerusalem, and they weigh this decision. Is Jude, Jewish circumcision, it was the main idea, is it required for Gentile Christians? And the conclusion they have is no. And so they send elders and apostles, leaders, right, back into these churches and tell them, hey, this is the decision of the collective church. Normally, when we use a church, capital C, collective church, it functions like a denomination. There's a group of churches who select leaders to represent them, who gather together to wrestle with the weightier issues that are problematic. Does that mean it has to be a denomination? No, it can be a network, can be a denomination, but there is room for that there is a collective authority that's greater than just the local authority. And I think that's super healthy. The problem is 
not a lot of denominations are super healthy. And, and so what happens is kind of what always happens. It's like our country, you know, governments and, and structures and things grow. And then all of a sudden, the little people serve to exist to serve the big thing. Here, the big thing was the local church. And they got leaders together from different churches to choose things, make decisions to help them answer hard questions. But then it, today, the denominations have grown so big and gotten unhealthy, and now they own the schools and the buildings and the stuff, and now it's like feeding the machine. And so um, most denominations are, are shrinking and going away because they've become unhealthy, but still there's a need for collective leadership. So as we wrap up this uh, episode, we try, we're going to try on each episode to say, okay, now that we've had this conversation... Right different types of leadership. We did the same thing last week with baptism. If you're looking for a church, how does this impact which right. church you may choose? Yeah, I'm always going to start with find a Bible teaching church, a gospel-centered church, right? If they are working through scripture, you're going to probably have a healthy leadership, right? If they, if their answer is always what Jesus has done for you and, and has overcome and been victorious for you, if their answer is always rooted in the gospel, it's probably going to be better than if their answer is rooted in try harder, right? So um, Bible teaching, gospel Center church, here's what I would say. You need to find a leadership structure you can trust if you're looking for a church that you can submit to, right? Nobody goes to a church to shape the church. They go to a church so the church can shape them, really. That's, that's, that's ultimately true. They will have an influence on the church. They should be able to commit to the church, submit to the church, and then they'll have a voice in it and they'll help shape the future if God calls them to. But I would say, you know, the other things are don't choose a church that puts down every other church's leadership structure, right? Choose one that's humble but has a leadership you can submit to. And then choose a place where you can plug in, give of yourself, grow, contribute, all those things. That is super important. Great. Yeah, and we wrapped up last time with also talking about the fact um, it's usually not a good sign if the church will not answer your questions. Fair enough. If you yeah. ask questions, why do we have this type of leadership? And they say, that's just the way it is. They should be able to <laughs> let you know it's biblical. This right. is what we do. We're following right. the Bible. So we want to thank you for listening. Again, we release a new episode every Tuesday, and we'll continue in this mini-series for a little while. So we hope you're enjoying it. Share it with your friend. Share it with somebody who maybe is trying to find a new church and trying to weigh all the different options. If you have a question you'd like us to address, you can send us an email at questions at generations.email or find us on social media, and you can ask questions there. May God bless you this week. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church, G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.